0: ready are we good to go yeah but okay three minutes Ooh, should we just wait for the three minutes no okay okay let's go it's all good hail and welcome everybody to circle talk a podcast for seekers initiates and the curious by four alexandrian witches with endless different opinions we are your hosts
1: hi i'm josie a high priestess and coven leader near melbourne australia
0: Hi, I'm James,
2: a high priest and coven leader from just outside New Orleans, Louisiana.
3: Hi, I'm G, a high priestess and coven leader from the New England area of the US.
0: And hi, I'm Peter, a high priest and coven leader from South Wales. So just as a quick reminder, if you're a veteran listener, you know what's coming next. But we're a podcast where we talk about Alexandrian witchcraft and explore different opinions on how the Alexandrian tradition is practiced in various covens and around the globe. We remind you that while we're all initiates of the Alexandrian tradition, we only speak for ourselves and not for the tradition as a whole, which is almost an impossible thing to do. This is episode two of season three. Welcome. If this is your first episode, double welcome. You might want to take a moment to pause and go back and listen to our introductory episodes, episode zero called introductions and episode one definitions or check them out after you enjoy this one. In today's episode, we're going to talk about pins, poppets, pain and pleasure, healing and hexing within the craft. Before listening to this episode, you might want to go and check a number of our other episodes out as well, such as episode 29. In season two, where we talk about ethics, the threefold law and the Wiccan read, as this episode includes interesting discussions on the ethics of initiatory Wicca and its practices. Uh, Also, episode 10 in season 2, where we talk about spell work and making magic happen. And episode 20 in season 1, where we talk about binding, banishing, and warding for our Samhain and Beltan special. As always, we'll try not to repeat too much of the information that's contained in previous episodes in this episode. In Doreen Valiente's version of the Wiccan Read, she writes that the goddess decrees a number of things, including learning all sorcery. That the goddess's law be in love unto all beings, letting nothing stop you from achieving your goals, not demanding sacrifice, and that all acts of love and pleasure are her rituals, which we'll get into later. How do we then as initiates of the wicker balance all of this? When is it justified to perform baneful magic and healing magic? And what kinds of spells and rituals might initiates and people of witchcraft perform to realise those goals? Do pins, poppets, pain and pleasure have any place in an initiate's arsenal of tools and techniques? Well, let's find out. High five, get on the broom and let's go witches. So to start us off, I just want to have a discussion, a quick discussion, maybe a bit of a lengthy discussion about benevolent and malevolent magic. So what is the difference? Is it down to our own personal feelings, etc, etc? So does anybody want to jump in? Because I know I've been speaking at everybody for the past three minutes.
2: Magically speaking, the fundamental metaphysical underlying rules, techniques, etc. are the same. Regardless of how you're using things. It's just what it is. It's why in the modern practices of the Wicca, we don't really talk a lot about, oh, white magic and black magic and all of these things, because it's just magic. The practitioners are the ones whom you would define this against. And so being able to define that really just comes down to well, what's your definition of benevolent and malevolent?
0: Yeah, so we we term sometimes I've got to kind of check because sometimes I get these two mixed up. And not, but it's not on purpose. So malevolent magic is more of the of what people would see as baneful magic. And then the malevolent oh see I knew I would get that wrong. Listeners, everybody else in the room is shaking their head at me because I'm a bad initiate shit and a language teacher to boot.
3: Well, it's because Welsh isn't a Latin-based, like, romance-based language. And this <laughs> this is, right? You like, know what? Th- that's what that would, root those roots are.
0: I would love to base it. Like, oh, yeah, this is, this is a problem because I also speak Welsh. It's not. And, like, English is my first language. So, like... English I, I isn't can... really
3: a Latin-based language, either. <laughs> English is just fuck all. So, I'm just saying, like, you didn't learn... You're not... You didn't learn Spanish in school. You didn't learn... You didn't... French, right? You learned Welsh. So, you didn't really have the... Welsh and German. There. Welsh and German. So, you didn't get Welsh emphasis on mal and ben and, like, all these prefixes. So
0: Okay, that's so not, I'm... S- not a you problem. I'm just going to kind of rewind back and reverse. So, just pretend I said nothing of that. So malevolent magic is the more baneful stuff or at least what people would call baneful and then the malevolent magic is the more of the, like the nicer stuff you know the healing kind of side of it so with that i think is it is it then because i've just said that it's what people people would term as so do we think that there are any universals that go along with this or is it all down to subjectivity now, I know James has just touched upon this. You know, we don't talk a lot about black magic and white magic and grey magic and all the other colors of the magics. Because really, for me, it is very subjective. You might want to do a spell for you, which might impede, which might impede upon somebody else and, and almost kind of like their free will as well. So from my point of view, that would be benevolent. But from somebody else's point of view, that might be malevolent. I wouldn't necessarily want to box myself in by saying that there are loads and loads and loads of universals. But I think maybe they, you know, there could be a fair If you're doing something just to cause harm, then yeah, definitely male- malevolent. You see, this is why it's difficult for me. I'm and leaving not all even, of this in. I'm leaving all of it in. It's not even early in the morning where I'm at, neither. Like, it's one o'clock. <laughs> I should have woken up by now. Anyway, yeah. So, do we like? Do you guys think that there are any universals within within these two definitions of magic?
3: I don't personally think so. I think you know there's a really big debate about whether to what extent intention fuels your magic, right? That like for I just I feel like that was just like random letters, like there was like nonsense language typed into the chat, and I was like, the fuck is he doing? And then I was like, oh no, it's this wild. just in jay that's thinks
1: Welsh is a nonsense language.
3: No, right. I think putting all those consonants <laughs> in a row—that's <laughs> too many consonants in a row. B L W. Like that's not. There's not. I can't.
0: Well, so technically, W is is a is, is a vowel in Welsh. Yeah. So we have more vowels in Welsh. Yeah. Anyway.
3: Sorry. Back I mean, to the I subject. Hollies. It just confused me here one <laughs> minute. So there's there's this debate. But I think outcome is the most important thing here. And so it's quite possible that you might not know whether or not an action ended up being benevolent or malevolent. And the example that I feel like I probably reached for when we talked about this in the past is the idea of healing magic when maybe asking for like the best possible outcome or like the, the outcome for the most good is the better option because sometimes death is the best possible outcome and if you're forcing or trying to enact your will to keep somebody alive when it's really going to cause them or their loved ones more pain and suffering then that's not a benevolent piece of work that's not a benevolent working even though you had all the best intentions in the world maybe right you know similarly if you're if you're performing a binding and the binding a binding is I think can often be seen as almost a neutral kind of piece of magic because it's really just meant to sort of put a stop to something you're not you're not explicitly saying like I'm cursing you if you don't stop this or I'm right you're just like just just I just want to put a pause but if if you try to put a binding and the way that the universe responds to that would be like you know having somebody ends up killing themselves whatever I mean that is kind of a malevolent working even though that had nothing to do with your intention and I still feel like if the only way the universe knows how to stop somebody is to have them kill themselves, then that's a little bit on them. But you know, ultimately, that the outcome of that was going to lead to suffering for that individual's loved ones, right? Because they're going to be upset that they're dead. So I do think outcome is the most important determination in if it's benevolent or malevolent. And that's why I think witchcraft is a practice and wicca is a religion of personal responsibility and contemplation and thinking forward as much as you can that's also where divination comes into play i think you know well i didn't mean to do that isn't a valid excuse you should take responsibility for whatever the outcome is
2: so i think that's a really great point in that the outcome kind of reflects it because although i think there are aspects of magic that have tendencies towards one or the other maybe specific herbs that people see as healing, etc., 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 anything used in the right way or in excess or to throw balance out or so on and so forth can be used in either one of these contexts because it comes down to how you have crafted together your specific working. So yeah, I, I agree with you.
1: There's a lot of cultural stuff tied up in it all as well and the way we see these things and in this day and age i think it's also sort of tied up in like witch aesthetic stuff as well this kind of dark aesthetic kind of comes to play i think this kind of informs some of the misconceptions people have about wicca being all love and light too
3: i was just gonna say like the opposite of the witch witchy aesthetic of like darkness is like this weird wiccan eclectic wiccan aesthetic of like love and light and peace and you know whatever that i don't think is is really accurate
2: somebody's not been paying attention that's all i'm gonna say
0: yeah this whole like eclectic wiccan thing of love and light you know if that's if that's where you're going then fine but there are initiates out there and other non-initiates that are not practicing just love and light you know for me it it always comes down to my own individual conscience. If I'm gonna do a work in, then number one, I'm definitely gonna plan it out and try and figure out what the end goal is and then kind of work backwards. And, you know, as as G said, we, we you know, we normally define whether it's malevolent or benevolent on the outcome of the thing as well. But what happens if we're a member of a covenant and we bring a work into the coven and the coven disagrees with with what we're doing as an individual. What happens when an individual's wishes doesn't align with the wishes of, of the coven? And for me, I suppose, A quotes, the simple answer is that you don't make that a coven working. but then is that going to bring strife into the coven?
3: I really like this question. I think it's a really interesting one because I know I at least fall on the side of like, Non-involvement in terms of my covenor's personal practice, but on the other hand, if my covenor's personal practice has started to incorporate or incorporate a lot of actions that I fundamentally or morally disagree with, then I'm not sure that that covenor's personality is a good fit for for our egregore anymore, right? So that's really tricky.
1: The old C word, right? I think it would be a matter of communicating. I, I do love G's person. face every time.
3: <laughs> because where I come from, there's a different C word that's quite bad. And where you guys live, that yeah, C word is really bad. Also different. as well. So and in Australia, just, that word <laughs> means mate. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm always worried that you're going to say, like, oh no, not that. And then you say communicate and I'm like, oh, that's that's a good that's a good C word.
1: I'm sure yeah. I've Look, said the other C word on this podcast before anyway, but still.
0: Well, I was, um, was going to say, how else are we going to earn our, our little... Uh, orange e for this episode
3: (laughs) (laughs) the orange e is only there for me
0: (laughs) yeah australian (laughs) warning i don't
3: think so i was like i'm sure i've dropped an f-bomb already and if not i will I'm, i'm sure it'll come before the end but yeah, it's it's
1: it's communication. I think you'd have to talk about it. I think it would depend on the on the situation and the person. I'd like to know I'd like to think that you would have an idea of what people's personal practice is as a coven leader. It's not super the business of everyone else in the coven what someone's practice is personally, unless it spills over into coven work. I don't know if someone's going home and kicking puppies every night. Like
0: you probably need to
1: know that and be across it and be okay with it.
0: Yeah, if we talk about you know, we've spoken about egregores in the past and an egregore being kind of like a mindset of energy of a coven or or a person or a place. When you've got members of a coven, even I think when individuals within that coven practice in their personal practice, they're still going to be tapping into part of the coven egregore as well. So I think I think it is important that as coven leaders, you know something about what your coveners are doing outside as individuals but i suppose unless it directly relates to other members of the coven and you know you kind of bring that drama into into coven unless that happens just kind of let them be if you've got somebody who's pushing out uh i'm gonna recheck the notes malevolent magic all the time then i suppose that's something you have to address as a coven leader but how would you know unless you were talking about those kind of things
3: did i did i say that it what somebody does in their personal practice is not my business because like now i'm forgetting what i said i don't know if i no that, I no i didn't mean I, that because i do agree no i don't think do you that. did so i was gonna say like i i do agree that having leaders should know or have a sense of what's happening in your personal practice but i don't have to be into what you're into i guess that doesn't if you're super into tarot and i'm not like i don't yeah that's fine with me you know but if you are going home and cursing coworkers every night like that's probably not going to be a philosophy that i that i'm going to find to be a good fit with me or the coven energy
2: The coven mileage may vary so you'll find covens who may be fine with all of that and you may find covens who are not and that's again going back to the you really got to get to know both your seekers who are coming into your coven but also seekers It's a two way street. You need to get to know what you're getting into. You gotta be familiar with these people through contact us. Why we don't teach online? Because you can't build that successfully. Plus, there's some things you just can't teach. Far, But I do think there's generally a line between the two, that being group practice and personal practice, and, and generally those kind of stay in their own lane. But I'm also using the words generally because covens are made of people, people are individuals, and you cannot separate the individual from the group that is composed of, that is the foundation of what it is.
0: Yeah, and for us generally, because I'm going to keep using that word now as well, generally, we like first-degree initiates if they're doing work at home for them to have some sort of write-up or maybe send us the plan so we can kind of look over it and be like yeah how about you know this is a good bit how about you change this bit? and then I think by the time they get to second or and or third that they have a really good knowledge and basis and foundation in what they believe is malevolent and benevolent magic as well so by the time they get to the higher degrees They have that more of that Wiccan morality and kind of like That that true north compass So you don't have to necessarily keep check And maybe keep check is the wrong phrase There but keep check on what your First degrees your new Initiates are doing so I've Just mentioned Wiccan morality And just a caveat to Episode 29 again in season 2 Do we want to have a quick Discussion about where Morality and ethics fits into The use of malevolent and benevolent magic. I know we spoke uh, in the ethics episode about the reed and the threefold law.
2: I think it works out best the way G said it earlier. It's about personal responsibility. If you pick the reed apart, it says I can salt the earth your ancestors walked on if I want to. So it's not really about ethics. It's about freedom. It's about being able to not be restricted by that which is harmless. But everything else is on the individual. Uh, the threefold law only applies in one specific instance in one of our rituals. Other than that, it's yeah. not a thing. So beyond that, I don't know if there's anything more we can say that we didn't say at length.
0: Yeah, what we what we don't want is for listeners to think. You know, I I want to do this this spell or this this piece of magic, but I think it is malevolent, and I know that the threefold law says everything that I send out comes back to me. Like spoiler. That's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily what Gardner said. And then looking at the reed, the reed doesn't really play a, a massive part in my wicca and my initiatory wicca. I know that it's something that a lot of uh, non-initiates who, who practice a, a Wiccan flavored form of witchcraft have jumped on and it'll pop up quite often in online spaces or, you know, what, a, you know, what about the reed? What about the threefold law? Okay. Well, the question really there is what about the reed? And, what about the threefold law what is your understanding and your understanding might not be exactly the same as mine but yeah it all it all comes down to to the individual
1: it kind of falls into that misconception stuff again too because so many people you see online especially introduce themselves in some of the witchy spaces and say hello i'm i'm such and such i'm a witch and i i do these things but i'm not wiccan because i don't follow the wiccan read but it's like well many wiccans don't
0: yeah if you're boiling down like in order to practice wicca you must follow the wiccan read if that's your basis for what wicca is i'm i'm gonna say something that maybe you don't like but that's actually not true you know what, what makes you of the wicca especially with initiatory wicca is having that initiation into into the wicca
1: yeah there'd be a lot less wiccans
0: wiccans if yeah. that the case yeah, there would be a lot saying. less Wiccans. I mean, like there's a there's a space for every form of Wicca, I think, in the world. Just because I practice a very specific form of Wicca, initiatory Wicca, British traditional Wicca, doesn't invalidate what other people are practicing from books that they can get, like The Witch's Bible, Scott Cunningham, you know, stuff that uh, Buckland wrote as well. It just means that I'm not necessarily going to ascribe to, or not ascribe, is that the word? I'm not. I'm not going to follow necessarily what what you believe. I'm going to follow what I've been taught from initiatory Wicca.
1: Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's, I think it's really valuable not to assume here about the wiccan read. It, as James said, it's got a very very specific purpose. Mm. It's come from a very specific place, and and you can listen to that, listen to our episode and learn about that. But people tend to use it as this kind of cover all thing that they paint their perception of wicca especially
2: in short do your magic and weigh it
0: against your own morality exactly so a lot of witchcraft and a lot of wicca works off the notion of sympathetic magic and sympathetic magic is a notion that originates with james fraser who hypothesized two categories of sympathetic magic one of them was homeopathic magic or Imitative magic where light creates light, such as including the name on a piece of paper, a photo, a doll dressed as that person. It can also be called the law of similarity. He also talks about how the idea that opposites repel as well. And I, and I know, I think James, you're going to jump in on that in a second. And then the other type of sympathetic magic that he hypothesized was contagion magic or contagious magic, where that would just come into contact with something will create that connection such as jewellery or hair or nail clippings that can also be called the law of contact or the law of contagion where the link remains there until it is magically or ritually broken. Now, within witchcraft, we will use sympathetic magic quite often, whether it's homeopathic or contagious magic. But James, did you want to talk about quickly the the notion of the um, opposites being repelled?
2: Yeah, so Fraser, in his discussion of sympathetic magic and like attractive trackless like, also discusses the idea that opposites repel and so basically the idea is if you're creating a magical environment working that heavily emphasizes one particular energy type notion etc it doesn't leave a lot of room for the opposite of
0: that yeah so when you're working magic you don't necessarily want to include something that is going to repel against that or possibly neutralize what you hope is the outcome but what about possibly other types of magic or are we saying in that most magic and most witchcraft practice is a form of sympathetic magic
3: I think sympathetic magic is so nice and um, obvious like it's so like intuitive in some ways like it feels like cave people magic to me right like I want to have a successful hunt so I'm gonna draw a picture of me having a successful hunt and that will make me have a successful hunt Ta-da! right like it's this idea of manifesting what you want by applying it to something really similar i also really like that other one that i always forget the name of where like that plant looks like a heart so we're gonna use that to treat heart ailments
0: it's called sympathetic magic
3: (laughs) it has a name
0: i'm gonna google but the simplicity of sympathetic magic
2: doesn't make it any less impactful any less successful in the use of magic sometimes the more complex put together workings or needlessly complex when you could have just got it done by drawing a picture of a successful hunt
3: yeah absolutely Did you, I find what the I doc- told you the doctrine of signatures is is what it's called when you there we go When you apply sympathetic magic based on, like, the appearance of something in the natural world to what its use or purpose might be. I'm just looking through your notes, and I'm thinking about, like, homeopathy, which I have a lot of feelings about. Those feelings mainly being that it's bullshit. As a (laughs) magical principle, I think it's fine. As a magical principle, it's perfectly fair. As a medical principle, I find it very concerning. And I think, like, that's sort of where you know maybe we need to we need to allow mundaneness to take charge i think if people are paying other people to perform witchcraft for them that's one thing if you're paying a what you think is a medical professional to treat you medically but what they're really doing is witchcraft it's like another thing so i guess if people aren't familiar homeopathy is the idea that like if i put the smallest drop of a chemical or an essence into water like one part per million that the whole vial of water will take on the properties of that medication or chemical that I put in there, and I can give that to you as a treatment. And sometimes like this is used with things that sort of walk the line between harm and help. So digitalis, for example, is a natural substance that you can find plants and it is used genuinely to treat some heart ailments, but also too much of it will absolutely kill you. And so, you know, somewhat related to this idea of homeopathy, which in magic makes perfect sense in the sense of like sympathetic magic. If I take a little bit of something of your essence, then I'm, you know, sort of magically multiplying it, some like some kind of like magical PCR technique. PCR being how we replicate DNA to make more DNA when we only have a tiny bit. But in medicine, it doesn't make sense because that's not how chemistry works. Anyway, magically, yes. Medically, scientifically, no.
0: So do you think that when we're practicing sympathetic magic and imitative magic, homeopathic magic, that we need more of the thing, looking at it from maybe like chemistry point of view, a science point of view, do we think that the more info like if we talk about a name on a paper, is that enough? Or do we need more? Do we need their birth date? Do we need their star sign? Do we need their address? Kind of thing. The
2: more you can tie the working to the target in the physical world the better however you use what you got
1: you use what you got but there is sort of like a hierarchy right if you don't have like hair or nail clippings or blood you could use a photo if you don't have a photo some people draw a picture and those things are seen as being different levels of powerful of connection i think in that case it's a bit like when you're looking at different correspondences for a certain thing so if you wanted to do a money spell and you look up all the money correspondences, it's kind of the more the better to kind of really kind of plug things in and hold up the little bats and wave the, the energy down the
0: runway in the right direction.
2: Right, and because mental magic tends to stay mental in the results, you really want that strong connection.
0: And I think that your culture will also play part of a role in this because when we talk about correspondences, like for, for money, I think of green, whereas... I think maybe in in a few Asian countries, they think of red. So depending on what your cultural heritage is, you might be looking at a book of correspondences. And again, it might say money, green. But from a cultural perspective, if you're from like an Asian country, you might think, oh, actually, money, red. So I'm going to use a red candle or a piece of red cloth. White has
2: got a unique thing here in New Orleans I'll talk about after Jersey.
1: There's a slightly depressing fact about this. Most correspondences we read in modern witchcraft books especially if those witchcraft books are coming out of north america can all be traced back to scott cunningham's especially his herbal book which is why so many witches like in australia money spells are green and that's because the american money is green depressing witchcraft fact yes you should be sorry for capitalism
0: (laughs) (laughs) your Uh, fault
3: north american
0: didn't like scott cunningham also say that from his Herbal book, didn't he say that lots of it was drawn from lots of different cultures and some of it was like almost channeled and then... Definitely. Yeah. So I'd like, you know, there's nothing wrong with that being a starting point. No, and there's nothing wrong
1: with Scott Cunningham, I want to point out as well. Without him, Witchcraft would look very, very, very different.
0: Yeah. Like, I think one of my first early introductions was via Scott Cunningham and also silver raven wolf yeah, and you know i know that always gets like a like a bit of a ha 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 but i think lots of people out there especially if you were if you're a product of, of like the 80s the 90s and the nineties, you probably heard of scott cunningham and silver Ravenwolf. and that's using those kind of books and tables of correspondences as a starting point is fine and as you go deeper into your practice into your craft you'll come up with your own correspondences that work for you just because it's written down in a book somewhere doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work for you. You know, bring bring in your culture, bring in your heritage, work with that.
1: One of my early High Priestesses said that the best table of correspondences that she's ever come across is in the early editions of Starhawk Baronet.
0: Which I haven't read, but now I'm going to have to read it. (laughs) Or at least get it. at least get, like, a copy from somebody just to look at the table of correspondences. Put it on the left.
2: In all fairness, Starhawk was a fairy initiate downline of uh, Anderson Ferry folk, so just putting that out there. But to, to circle back what I was saying about white, New Orleans has a huge Vietnamese population, for those who don't know that, and so white is not what you think of when you think of uh, European folk magic, where white's purity and cleansing and... So on and so forth. It's the bleached bones that have sat in the heat and sun too long. It is quite a different vibe.
0: And I think even though like white and black, and G will probably tell me if I'm right or wrong here, but white and black is the absence of colour. And if you don't have a green pouch or a silver moon pouch, then at a push, you you could probably just use white. Or black james is giving me like the eyes and he's like no
2: you're, you're you're conflating light spectrum against color and they're they're not the same
0: no no they're not the same that was my full stop <laughs> i didn't i wasn't really gonna take take that anyway but i i you know the the idea that if you don't have a color that you can use white and black i think that's like a common thing isn't it in like wicker witchcraft
3: i do think that i and i adhere to that principle I will often reach for white, but I think not necessarily for the reason that it's the absence of color, but that it's just it's kind of like a baseline neutral. But I think my preference would be like a natural wax color, like a beeswax, natural beeswax color would probably be the most like neutral because it's just undyed. Right. So that's just taking us back to like this is just whatever. But I don't I wouldn't ascribe to like this can stand in for if I am in North America and I am doing money magic, this can stand in for a green candle because technically it's all colors or no ca- colors. Like I wouldn't do that, but I would just be like, I need a candle. I don't have one of the color I want, so I'm just going to use like a natural colored candle and that will be therefore not influenced like in any direction or something like that. But like, yeah, I mean, I agree with with what James said regarding um, like how we get color from light spectrum and color colour theory in terms of mixing colours is kind of a different shtick.
0: I once fell down a rabbit hole recently watching reels where they've got like lots of different colours and before before they show you the colour, you've got to guess the colour. Like they take the they take flags and there's a palette of colours of each of those flags and they mix them all together. And I'm like, oh that's that's gonna that's gonna be like brown and it turns up purple and i'm like okay i don't know any anything about colors apparently so let's get into the title of this episode of pins poppets pain and pleasure so one thing that we want to talk about is the use of puppets in witchcraft and, and fetishes and a fetish is, is something that looks similar to what what you want to get and i think the the term poppet is like a middle english of endearment, and a puppet is supposed to look like a doll. And when we think of dolls and puppets being used in witchcraft, I don't think that it's going to be impossible not to talk about the voodoo doll, which we know really has nothing to do with practices in, in voodoo. Whether you're talking about, like, Haitian voodoo or New Orleans voodoo, there's a misconception that the voodoo doll comes from voodoo, but it doesn't.
2: So voodoo being a ATR, African Traditional Religion, that particular aspect of folk magic, the idea of having a doll that you poker pins, does not originate there. <clears throat> so they... The popular cultural idea of a voodoo doll is something that originates in European folk magic that somehow picked up voodoo on the beginning, has been tacked on there. That's not to say that you won't find voodoo dolls here in New Orleans, but tourists are going to buy what tourists buy, and it doesn't have a basis in traditional voodoo.
0: Yeah, the notion of the voodoo doll was really popularized by Hollywood, and undoubtedly if there's any form of witchcraft film out there there's gonna be that you like they're gonna have some sort of doll and you're gonna look at it and think oh that's that's a voodoo doll because there's a, a doll that that has been made out of something and oh oh, look, yeah there they are there's the pins and you know it's it's really interesting why why pins why do we use pins in poppet magic and fetish magic well one of the reasons is that it is the pin can be symbolic of the pain. So, if you are maybe working uh, with somebody or doing witchcraft and magic on somebody's behalf, you can use a pin in the place that somebody's feeling that ill health, that dis ease, and you can use that pin as a representation. And if you're in circle and you ritually pull that pin out, then you are kind of using sympathetic magic in order to say, Right, I've, I've pulled this pain out, and you can then ritually discard it.
1: It's also Like, pins and nails have been traditionally used in magic and folk magic practices for a really long time because they're readily available and often, like, a tool of women as well. And it was often women doing the folk magic.
2: Yeah. It says go here or come from here. Thorns are also a thing. So the thorns from a black thorn are specifically potent in some aspects. But then, you know, those little pins that have the the little colored ball on the end, uh, you can associate different colours with what you're doing on your pin.
0: Yeah, and pins are also used in, like, witch bottles as well, which are used to deflect any negativity, any negative energy. We've spoken about how negative energy isn't waiting around the corner for you, ad nauseum, in previous episodes. But I think the idea there is that the, that the pins, you know, because they're pointy, will kind of deflect the negative energy away.
1: And witch bottles are a pretty old thing, right? They're they're another folk magic practice. Have I told you guys about the witch bottles in Australia that people have been digging up under old houses? It's a practice that came over here with um, English and Irish and Welsh people in the 1800s. And in old buildings, they're finding witches' marks and witches' bottles and shoes in the walls and stuff. Um, I might put in the links, actually, the Australian Magic Project, which is a bunch of university professors who basically go around hunting these things now. It's great.
0: Yeah, I forget which episode it was in, but I know, James, you've spoken previously in previous episodes about the witch bottles that you will find in and around your area where... Or maybe it was G, I forget, where they're kind of... They're on trees. but oh, the bottle tree. Yeah, the bottle, bottle tree, tree. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was really interesting. You know, another form of, of witch bottle based on local folk practices, if I'm right.
2: So what I think we really need to, to get at here with... The the idea of the puppet is not just that it's used for malevolent magic, which is the common conception, especially when you you pay attention to the movies from Hollywood, because it's always used in a cursing context. It's that it's just the technique. It's the technology that is used. But how it is used conveys the results, because it can be used for healing or other things just as
0: easy yeah and, and the idea that we use pins in conjunction with puppets is you know if it's not a puppet you might you know pins fix things to the wall like if you tack something to the wall like on a notice board or anything you know we can you you can use a pin in order to fix that magic or that spell to that point whatever things could we put into into puppets as well one thing that i've put into puppets before in the past for use in in healing magic and Connecting that poppet with that person is sigils where you can then bring in planetary work and you can use the uh, I think it's Kamea. I might be pronouncing that wrong but the tables of numbers connected with the planets and you can make a sigil from a word connected to that planet if it's Love or healing you might choose Venus And then you kind of pull out all the repeating letters uh, V-E-N or L over also love would just be its own word and then you would draw representation of that word based on numbers on top of that kamea, on top of that magic square, and then you're left with this, like, this cool-looking sigil. And I quite like putting sigils inside poppets.
3: I um I was just Googling to try and find the name of what I was... When I was doing my Reiki class, there were a number of people who were also studying, like, other healing modalities, and one of the ones that came up is called Tongren, And so I was like, I have to try and remember what this is called. So it's Tong Ren. And the idea is you would use something like an acupuncture doll or a meridian doll, which are usually used for training in like authentic Chinese medicine. So you use the acupuncture doll model as a way to learn like where you would place the needles appropriately in acupuncture. But Tong Ren uses the acupuncture dolls as something like that I would call like a poppet by hitting the specific points on the doll or the meridians on the doll with a hammer and thus trying to affect healing in the body of the person who the doll is supposed to represent. So instead of like laying on hands for healing or applying like in the way that we would with Reiki um or applying needles like you would in acupuncture, this is applying this hammer to a a poppet like thing, a doll, and then hoping that it affects the same energy um center in the physical person. Um, which I think is kind of interesting because it's a definitely like a marriage of Western medicine and eastern medicine, but Um, so I was just like looking at this journal article about efficacy. I'll let you know when I get to the end, if it's, if they found anything in the study or not, but yeah, lots of different ways that people, I mean, it's even thinking like if we've been using poppets as acupuncture training for a long time or dolls as acupuncture training for a long time, right? Like you can see how, how this is a widespread sort of idea.
2: So that, that reminded me of, I don't know how widespread of a technique it is, but it's, if you look in some of the old magical manuscripts, they have the charts of the human body as they are associated with the planets and things like that. Certain organs have certain associations, certain sorts of the cranium, so on and so forth. And so, you could target that specific area with the association from the planet and tie those aspects into whatever you're working in. So, if you needed to do uh, healing work associated with mars on your effigy whatever that may be you would target the area of the body associated with mars to pull in mars energy to the working and the person i don't remember where i i read that or picked that up because i've read a, a lot of old manuscripts for fun because that's what i do
0: so now that's something i'm gonna have to look into as well because that is new to me of linking like a specific part of the body to planetary elements. So thank you for that. That's going to be my next rabbit hole, James. We've uh, spoken about things like hair clippings and nail clippings and blood. And there's a term that you might come across called tag locks. And basically a tag lock is just something that connects that effigy, that poppet, that whatever to that person. Again, it could be nail clippings. It could be saliva. It could be blood. It could be uh, hair clippings as well, and when I was speaking to one of the other cover members, and I mentioned the word taglock, they were like, oh, that's that's a new term to me. And there was me thinking, oh, this is a universal thing, a universal term. Taglocks is, is is what the term does.
2: I actually knew that one. I'm not going to say there's a, a list of old words that correspond to modern usage that is in my very thick volume that I have, but there is, maybe, allegedly.
0: Perhaps. Maybe. <laughs> and when it comes to filling a puppet, if you're creating a puppet from, from scratch, obviously you need two pieces of cloth, you sew it together, you turn it inside out so the stitching is on the inside. But then when it comes to filling the poppet, think about what work you're creating the puppet for or what you have to hand. Like I fill poppets with cotton wool because it's, it's quite inexpensive. You can buy it in really big bags and it's, it's really nice filler. If you're sticking a pin into a poppet, the cotton wool holds it really well. Sand or oatmeal or flour could be quite nice. If you want it a bit heavier and you fill it with rocks, just be mindful that if the rocks are really like big, then a pin from the outside of the poppet isn't going to stay as well in place. It'll you know kind of move around. And if you're linking that with sympathetic magic, you know you've got this vision of this pin, of this pain like being moved around and spread across the body kind of thing. So maybe just think about, you know, what is going to, what is going to fix this? And my suggestion would be cotton wool.
1: If you're doing sigil magic or anything sort of on paper related to it, you can make that the stuffing
0: of the puppet. Perfect. Okay. So we've spoken about puppets and pins and pain and kind of like fixing it and removing it and using sigils and what to fill puppets with. What about the opposite side of the coin? What about healing? within witchcraft when we talk about witchcraft and witches we conjure up in our minds the idea of all these herbs and all these spells and really that the witch is somebody you go to or you went to for not just uh, malevolent work but benevolent work and and healing and i know that g smiling because maybe i got those two right yay so you know healing within witchcraft is big i think it's safe to say and one of the ways that at least I link healing into my practice is by using herbs. I create a lot of incenses. I create a lot of herbal oils. I'm sure I've spoken about fly ointments in the past as well. And, you know, when, when we look at the history of flying ointments with the herbs that were used, yes, they have a psychoactive element to it, to them, but they also work because they include Include alkaloids and, and things that you know are kind of good for pain or good for sleeping or good for giving you energy yeah i will i will use a lot of a lot of herbs in my practice
3: i don't use a lot of herbs in my practice because i can't keep plants alive and i can't use purchased dried herbs fast enough to keep them from getting kind of monkey. and that's a word right that's a word. yeah
0: monkey's a word
3: not jason i didn't mean any no
0: not no, jason monkey
3: so I just, like, always find, kind of find this, like, such a kick that there's so many different kinds of witchcraft that, like, you're like, I don't touch divination. I'm like, I don't touch plants. If I can avoid it, and of course, sometimes you have to, it is what it is. But I just, I just love that about us, that we don't feel the need to do everything.
0: Yeah, I find it very difficult to keep plants alive. And for the past year, I've successfully managed to grow belladonna, henbane, black henbane, and datura specifically datura stromonium and then i went to cut them back i I, I cut them back for the winter and they're just like dead (laughs) and i'm like ah i thought that they would kind of go dormant but to be fair my belladonna plant she is she's sprouting again and i'm like you should be asleep but hey it's nice to see you in the depths of winter but yeah i'm if i can use dried herbs like dried herbs is my thing to go to. You know, like lots of herbs that are used in healing witchcraft, lavender, rosemary, you know, thyme as well, all the kind of classics, mugwort, you know, they're all to hand dried and bought from eBay or Amazon because some of the more exotic ones you're not going to find on the shelves of your local supermarket, unfortunately. Maybe that's my next big adventure to open my first witchcraft shop and just stock all of these like exotic dried herbs. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, something else that I like to include when I'm doing healing work is crystals. You know, I'm I'm big on the rocks. I'm big on the herbs. And I remember when I went to uh, the Mercian Gathering, which is like a gathering of pagans, witches, Wiccans, whatever, ages and ages. I think I was in my maybe first year of university and I signed up to the crystal course on the weekend. And the woman that was teaching also taught Reiki. And even though Reiki wasn't part of the the course itself, you know, she explained that crystals and Reiki go quite quite nice together when you're performing a Reiki session or Reiki healing on somebody. You can use crystals, like crystal grids around them as well. So I've kind of incorporated that into my Reiki in, in the past. But yeah, I think... When we look at healing modalities, Crystals, I think, is big up there. And I think Reiki is big up there as well. What other healing modalities have we come across from maybe like in... I hate the term New Age, but kind of like from a New Age perspective or from like a witchcraft perspective?
2: There's a lot. Like there's boxes, there's jars and all different containers, but then there's... Various ways of focusing energy to things like the crystal grids you mentioned or yeah, poppets or so on and so forth. In addition to just the components you you listed here, like herbs and crystals and teas and things like that, there's a whole list of, to, to use a Southern folk magic term, curio, that get used to include some that are zoological. It's a fur, feather, so on and so forth. So there's just things that can really it all together
0: yeah like with a lot of magic you build in a lot of different elements in order for you to solidify in your mind that this spell this ritual this magic is gonna work and I think you know I'm, I'm like I said big on the big on the herbs big on the crystals but also big on like the the correspondences so for me the the more elements I can pull in not necessarily the bigger effect it's gonna have but I like I like lots of things in my Wicca and in my witchcraft and I know we've spoken about this again in 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 previous podcasts. You know, I love all the tools. I love I love a lot of the practical side of witchcraft and wicker. A lot of the practical elements I'll pull in because I'm like, yes, I like it. And I know I've said in the past to get circle up, it takes a long time. You know, it takes it takes a lot of energy, a lot of effort. So if I'm going to be sat in circle, I want to do something that's a little bit meatier than just like, ah, okay, so we've built the temple and now we're gonna. Close the temple i'm like nope we're gonna do at least an hour's worth of meditation and then we're gonna pull the cards which i don't do personally because you know i struggle with divination i'm just like hermione in that sense but yeah i'll pull in everything one thing that i i did want to share with everybody as well is that there is a there, there's a chant that some people might incorporate in their healing work and especially with with puppets when you're building the puppet when we're doing witchcraft and magic and wick we wi- can work we wi- can work in our cavern in my coven, we like chanting and that like monotony of it kind of gets you into that rhythm and one thing one chant that i want to share with you is a is an incantation based on the merseburg or the merseburg charms which are two medieval magic spells or charms or incantations that were written in old high german i'm not confident enough as to find it in old high german and then butcher old high german myself so i'm just going to give the english version so it goes a little like this this is the spell that i intone or we intone if you're working from a coven Uh, this is the spell that we intone flesh to flesh and bone to bone sinew to sinew and vein to vein and let them all be whole again and I think it's just, it's a nice one if you're working healing magic and there's at least one Coven member in in, in our Coven at the moment that loves rounds and, you know, I'll start on line one and then somebody else, when I get to line two, will start on line one, which is lovely. But I have to like almost block everybody and everything else out because I am, I am not one for rounds. I'm like, no, we will all chant it at the same time so that if I stumble upon my words, somebody else is going to pick them up. Yeah, the the background to that incantation is when, it's it was said by Odin when Baldur's horse dislocates its foot while riding through a forest and the original, that the one that I just said, is based on the original that goes bone to bone, blood to blood, limb to limb, as if they were mended. Less more of a chant than possibly just an incantation, but still still very nice so we've spoken about like the malevolent side the benevolent side and i know that we've touched upon this next question in previous episodes like uh the episode where we spoke about spells and how we get them to work but how do we know if our sympathetic magic our malevolent or benevolent magic has actually worked for me is has that desired outcome happened and If it has, then yes, that was definitely all down to me. But if it hasn't, then oh well, let's try again. It's like kind of shooting hoops, you know, if the first five miss and that last six one gets and you're like, yeah, I did that. That was that was all me. Target practice. Target practice. Yeah. Unless you're throwing axes and then that's a different kind of target practice, right?
3: I think it's tricky, partially because I as I said earlier, I think outcomes are important. And so sometimes you might get a different outcome than the one you expected based on what you ended up asking for. I also think I've definitely had it where my magic worked much later than I was expecting it to. Sometimes things take a while to like get everything in place for the for the ask. And so when it does finally happen, you're like, oh, you were just waiting on that one got you like i had to wait for a job to become available for me to get the job that i wanted like that was took a couple years you know but i do think like divination can sometimes help here right especially if if you aren't sure if what you're asking for is maybe not super obvious or not like quantitative or measurable in some way right again divination is something that you could go to to ask if your working was i don't know accepted or effective in some way
1: I think journaling comes in here as well or record keeping of some kind. You can yell at me for saying it in this way, G, but be a bit scientific about it in that way and think about like variables and things that you've tried and try changing one little thing and see if that changes the outcome.
3: Like a recipe book.
2: Yeah. It's all about weighing probabilities. And at the end of the day, you're not doing your spell work alone or effective magic isn't solely spellwork. It includes the mundane actions you otherwise would want to take so that the probability has something to affect, to, to weigh against. So at the end of the day, when you're like, well, it's that the deciding factor that tipped it over the scale, I think the answer is largely going to be subjective because people can always be like, oh, well, it's because you redid your resume, you started applying to jobs and all these other things. Yeah, you can get a job without doing the spell work, but the spell work can tip the scale. So whether or not it worked, that's that's hard to say without taking that extra look of maybe doing divination or other discernment to, to make that call.
0: Yeah, in the past, I've subscribed to witches working towards the improbable and not the impossible. You know, the reason that we're not all billionaires... Is because for most of us, that's going to be probably impossible. But we can work towards making better opportunities for ourselves. We can work towards rewriting our resumes or our CVs or something. And we can work magic towards that so that it, it affects it positively.
2: I just want to say we only put a couple of limited examples on here to illustrate the point. There's a whole world out there full of other things.
0: Yeah, without going into... Every kind of malevolent and benevolent magic. This episode would be multiple car drives and multiple trips into work and whatever you're listening. So I think with that, this brings this episode to a close. So today we have spoken about malevolent and benevolent magic. We've spoken about pins and poppets and pain and healing and harming. As a reminder, a number of other episodes from Circle Talk for Witches that you'll find beneficial on a similar topic to today's include episodes 29 on ethics in Season 2, where we spoke about ethics and the threefold law that we can read. Episode 10 in Season 2, where we spoke about spell work and making magic happen. And episode 20 in Season 1, all the way back in Season 1, where we spoke about binding, banishing and warding for our Sour and belt special. And finally, thank you for listening. As a reminder, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook as Circle Talk for Witches. That's forwards in the number X, formerly known as Twitter, as Circle for Witches, again, the number four. Or you can email us at CircleTalk for Witches at gmail.com. If you have any questions or queries or thoughts or ideas for future discussions, please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. From all of us here at Circle Talk, Merry Meat. Merry part and marry meet again.